What's the connection that you have to with the last name? Eddie Murphy and Charlie Murphy, first cousins. Being this 13, 14 year old kid thrust into this world. Now you starting to ride in limos, you go on the movie premieres, vacation. Who would you say is one of the toughest personalities in this? It was it was probably Charlie and, and Faison, because again, very, very outspoken. You're the boss. You can do whatever you want, but I have to make sure that I give you all of the information so that you can make the right decision. And then at some point, the audience is gonna be looking for something new. Doesn't mean that you can't still work and be successful, but it's just like, all right, now they're gonna be enamored with this guy. What up, what up, what up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, wanna welcome you back to another Black Brilliance branded conversation here on the Charles Coleman Podcast. Today I have one that I'm super excited about because you know we always like to talk to luminaries in the space of culture, in the space of entertainment, in the space of people who are moving conversation forward, and today is no exception at all. But before we get there, make sure you are locked in on Apple, on Spotify, on Tidal, on Google, on Amazon, all the places where you can find podcasts is where you will find the Charles Coleman Podcast, your home for Black Brilliance. But we're going to get right into it, but before I do, I got to give a big shout out to Alpha Clothers, who, who hit me up with this amazing Brooklyn-branded sweatshirt with the seven different neighborhoods of Brooklyn. You got Best Stock, Clay Hill, Crown Heights, Flatbush, Fort Greene, Brownsville, and of course, East New York. That's not everything in Brooklyn, but it's a lot. So shout out to Alpha Clothers there. Brooklyn-born, but 757 base, and they do amazing stuff. You know, for me, my big thing is versatilities. They got a dope ass track suit coming that they did for me. I got a suit coming that they did for me. They do shoes and they did this amazing casual piece that they got in a hoodie as well. So Alpha Clothes, that's A-L-F-A Clothers is the ones you want to check out to get to it. But now we are going to get to it with someone who, if you know what you know, needs no introduction. We've had a lot of talent on the show, but a lot of times people don't appreciate the talent behind the talent. And today is an exception where we are going to do that and have a conversation with my man. Welcome to the to the couch, Richard Murphy. Thank you so much for being here, Mr. Murphy. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks, Charles. Appreciate you having me. Yeah. So um, I want to get the obvious out the way for people who may not know. All right. The last name, people are like Richard Murphy, comedy, so on and so forth. I know the, the relationship, but what's the connection that you have to with the last name? Uh, so Eddie Murphy and Charlie Murphy, first cousins. First cousins. My, our, our fathers were brothers. Okay. Um, you know, they, they, there was about six siblings, one girl, five boys, and, uh, my father and their father were the youngest. Not only are y'all first cousins, but as I understand it, and your fathers were brothers, as I understand it, Re Uncle Ray or your dad is basically a version of Richard Pryor's character from one of my favorite movies, Harlem Nights. Is that is that? Yeah, that movie was loosely based on my father's life. He used to own a bar uh, in Brooklyn back in the day. And uh, so he kind of had those experiences with, uh, you know, with those mob fellas or what have you. So he knew a lot of those guys like uh, Sonny Red, Sonny Black, all of those type of guys from back in those days. Wow. What, what was it like as a young person when that movie first came out? seeing it and then seeing your dad represented in that way just, well honestly i didn't know at that point when i was a kid right i was just excited right it was you know we went to the premiere you know another eddie movie what have you but it definitely was I, my father's bar was called sugar rays 
So that part of it, I, I made the I made that connection. Okay, but I didn't learn later on. Uh, I mean, I didn't learn until later on. You know, like the connection with the mob, and that you know that it was you know loosely based on on his life. So when when you you know you're and and I, this is probably the last question we're asked about the cousins before I get to like your incredible career. I got to know, right? So when you have someone who's in your family, like so for me, for example, I do cable news, I'm on TV, so on and so forth. When I'm around my family, they like, Charles has just been talking since we were like young. And they just, they're, they're just used to it. I mean, it's, you know, they're proud, but they're like, yeah, this, this nigga talks, that's what he does. <laughs> um, when it comes to them, your, your cousins, were they always like funny or entertaining or cracking jokes or were they different or was it annoying? Like, what was that like? So, I mean, you know, you gotta remember that Eddie, I mean, they, they're much older than me. <laughs> you know, uh, Eddie, Charlie, uh, my brother, all about 14, 15 years older than me. Mm. So my brother really grew up kind of closer to Charlie and Eddie. So when I was, you know, eight or nine years old, you know, Eddie's on Saturday Night Live. So for me, that's just like, wow. And, you know, you kind of... You know, they were the older cousins, so you know, eight year old. You don't have that much interaction with them, um, but you know, you, you kind of always heard like, oh, you know, like Charlie was always like, kind of always getting in trouble and um, that kind of thing. So it wasn't until I got a little older, and my dad and brother started working for Eddie, that I was around them a lot more. And it was, you know, at that point, yeah, it was always laughs. It was always fun. But you know, imagine being this 13, 14 year old kid thrust into this world. Now you're starting to ride in limos, you're going to movie premieres, you're going on, you know, expense paid trips to, you know, Jamaica on vacation. You know, you're experiencing, you know, just this 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 incredible world. You go on the movie sets, you know, you're a uh you're freaking <laughs> so coming to America, we were in California. And, uh, you know, you're hanging around the set. So they, they'll, you know, let's say, hey, throw Richard in there, what have you. So they actually, uh, they had me doing, sta standing in for Paul Bates. You know, she, she, yeah. so they had me standing in, right, to get the light or whatever. And I, then I thought about it. I was like, hey, I ain't that bad. That nigga's big. <laughs> oh, wait, can I cuss on him? Sorry. No, no, you can't. But, uh, you absolutely can't. Okay. Go ahead. Just, okay. Yeah. We, we're all the way live. Um, we're good. The bills are paid. But I was good. just like, <laughs> but it was fun. So that was kind of, you know, so, you know, at 15 years old, I'm going to star-studded New Year's Eve parties and, you know, it was it was, it was a cool experience. But I was a really kind of shy kid, so I wasn't the guy that walks around saying, yeah, you, you know who my cousin is, right? Right. I actually kept it more quiet. You know, people, people would, other people would tell people, I wouldn't tell people. Right, 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 right. So let's talk about you. I mean, so for people who don't know, I'm going to give them a quick primer. You are a talent manager and have been managing some of the biggest names across all sorts of entertainment industries, not just comedy, not just music, not but but also film as well. I mean, you've worked with everybody from uh, 112 in the music industry to Anthony Hamilton to Faith to... Uh, Redman to uh, just, just a bunch of names in comedy. You uh work with someone near and dear to my heart, my girl Ida Rodriguez. You work with uh, -huh. uh you know, Capone, another funny brother, New York Kings of Comedy, just a, a crazy long list. And in film, a whole nother cadre of just talent. 
Um, number one, I guess I got to ask, how do you, this is really my first question. In spaces where a lot of your talent are black people, are black and brown people, and there are not a ton of opportunities for us, period, in the space at all. So when you are talking about artists who may do similar things uh, and be looking for similar opportunities, how do you navigate the lack of available options in a way that doesn't have different people on your roster feeling like hyper competitive or like, yo, you, you know what I'm saying? You was working for them to get that. I should have been on that or what, what have you. How do you navigate that? That is uh, uh, an acquired skill um, because, you know, after the, what I learned early on in the business is that, you know, just what you said, like they'll be worried about what you're doing for somebody else. Yeah. And I always just made them feel like they were the only one that I was paying attention to. You know, I mean, obviously they had enough sense because when I started my career, um, I started out at a larger agency. So I'm actually I'm actually both agent and manager. Yeah. Right. And, and, right. and they both kind of do similar things. But, you know, an agent is more so, you know, like like a like a. Uh, what do you call it? Um, it's like an employment agency. Right. We we get the talent work, whereas as a manager, then my job is to kind of manage the, the agent, the lawyers you know, and kind of help run, you know, the talent in their, their, their business, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. As, as the talent, they're, you know, they're a business entity. And I'm, I'm the manager, like, you know, like somebody running the store. It seems like another aspect of your job, at least to keep your own sanity, has got to be a certain degree of, like, ego management as well. Because everybody you're talking about got an ego. Like, you got right behind you, you got plaques on the wall, Ashanti, and, you know, just everybody got an ego. So is there ever has there ever been a time that you had to, like, check somebody about their ego? Or do you just sort of massage it in a, in a like, a, all right, we'll let them rock right now, but we're going to have a conversation a little while later? It really depends on the, the the personality, right? Some people you can be really forward with. Okay. Um, you know, it, and it also, too, depends on how close your relationship is. Like, I work with Faison Love. Faison sometimes is, uh, you know, he's very um, uh, uh, outspoken and what have you. And, you know, so so in those type of scenarios, this I've been working with him for 20 years. And so there's a level of respect and love there. So we'll get into arguments, right? Um, and sometimes, you know, with, with maybe like an Ashanti, whatever, you don't really want to get into an argument, you know, but we do, you know, again, I've been working with her for 20 years. So you kind of just learn how to massage the personality yeah. of the person. And then, and you know, when to, well, you know, when to push and you know, when to back off, mm. but I'm also very like, I mean, look, my, my job is to give the information, give you all the information. You're the boss. You can do whatever you want, mm. but I have to make sure that I give you all the information so that you can make the right decision that you need to make. And at the end of the day, what I learned also is you can't internalize it. It's not personal. Mm. It's not personal. People often take offense and get, you know, it's like, oh, well, you know, they didn't take my idea or whatever. Not that I don't care, but I'm just like, all right, if you don't want to do it, fine, let's go. Keep it moving. Either, either, either you'll be right or you'll be wrong and we'll just, we'll still keep it moving. Who uh, would you say is, is, um, you know, I, I'm not one to get like super messy, but I do want to know like who would you say is one of the toughest personalities to manage, like ego wise. Oh, the toughest person to manage, not even so much ego. Just it was it was probably Charlie and 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 Faison, because again, 
very, very outspoken guys, what have more you. Than, more than like any of, of your music, more than any of your music clients. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? You know why? Because with with most of my music clients, there was a buffer, right? As as the agent, I'm dealing <laughs> with the manager, right? Um, as my career uh, uh, started to bloom, right? Then I then you start dealing more closely with the talent, right? And you know you kind of spend more time out there, you know, getting FaceTiming with them, going to the shows, covering shows, that kind of thing. And then you develop a relationship where you're talking to them direct or you're talking to them in the manager direct. Um, but for me, probably it's just, you know, the comedians because it's, it's uh, I'm more hands on. It's more direct. You know, I got to get answers out of them. And when they don't want to do something, <laughs> it's a fight. So how hard is it? I, I, and I think a lot of I'm someone who sort of studies comedy and has studied comedy and just understands sort of. And actually, it was uh, interestingly enough, it was Ida who got me more and more into that, just understanding like the science of what it is to craft a joke and to write a right. joke. And then, so uh, my through sort of knowing her and being cool with her, I learned more and more about the industry and how it works. How hard is it for you to take someone who has raw talent, uh, be it in stand up, in terms of being able to tell a joke, uh, who understands how to construct that, and then get them into a writer's room? or get them into uh, a casting office for a particular role? Like where they make that jump from being on stage to actually like get into their bag for real, for real. How hard right. is that? I mean, it's tough, especially, you know, for, for people of color, right? Um, I was, again, lucky enough to work with people who had kind of done the legwork already, right? Charlie became a stand-up after he had already become popular on television. Yeah. Faison was a stand-up and he was doing television, he was doing movies or what have you. Um, but the key there is getting, you know, being able to get the uh, eyeballs of a really good agent, somebody who's hungry, mm -hmm. who can see the potential in you and can start making those calls and just kept, kind of getting really aggressive and, and trying to put you in, in front of the right people, be it, you know, casting or producer or director or what have you. Somebody who's gonna, you know, kind of see your talent and, and, and your potential and, and use you. So now, that brings me to another sort of question because you talked about Charlie sort of not doing it in reverse, but doing it in a different order. Now you have this new like genre, like I talk about hip hop, and I'm like, all right, so you, you, you know, you got mumble rap, which is sort of something a little bit different than what you and I grew up listening to in terms of hip hop and all that works. And so you have to create a space for it, whether you may not even be a thing, but you got to create a space for it. Now in comedy, you have social media and you've got skits and people right. who are running around and they're like, oh, so-and-so so funny. They the funny. And... and right. What I have to tell people is that they may, you know, they may be good at sketch comedy, if you will, because that's what it is. It's, it's, it's online sketch comedy, but that doesn't mean that you can. That doesn't. That doesn't mean that I'm necessarily ready to go and buy a thirty dollar ticket to see them, on you know, at a stand up show. You know, when they come to town. Maybe I am. Maybe I'm not. Um, but it is. It has become a viable space for people who absolutely. Like, you know, like, yo, I'm a t just hilarious. I'm going to turn this into a regular spot on the breakfast club. Um, right. um, 
you know, Country Wayne, others like DC Young Fly. I mean, they're doing a lot of different things. DC Young Fly's stand up has improved dramatically because he's been working at it. But that's not where he started. He started, you know, primarily on social media. How do you as a talent evaluator now sort of look at that and, and, and make sense in the like comedy realm for someone who's starting to make moves in in that arena? Are you like, where do you think that's going in, in terms of a trend? So I'm tr- I mean, look, with I keep trying to figure out where it's going, right? Because I'm, 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 you know, I'm scrolling. Yeah. You, know, you, know, you kind of just always, <laughs> one day, you know, we're, we're all addicted to our phone, right? <laughs> so, but I, I see some guys that do it really, really well. And I'm always looking like, and, I'm, and I've seen the evolution of it, right? And I've seen how far the the talent and the skill level has like like during pandemic when like Atheon Crockett and, yeah. and 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 Spice Adams were you know kind of doing their spoof of of uh, the verses uh, uh, verses yeah. and what have you and just just people getting better at editing and getting be- you know and and kind of being more professional about it now you yeah you, you're using your camera but you also got got guys who are using sound. They got lavaliers, they and they're 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 editing in their sound. You know, there's no weird background, whatever. Right, called. right, right, right. And with that, that coupled with all of these streaming platforms, so you know, and and, and how people can you know really generate revenue off of their YouTube's and their and their and um you know the Instagrams what have you. So I see this world where you've got all of these content creators who and it's and it's and for me it's the same for music too. Um, the the artist has a lot more control. So some of these guys don't have to rely on a studio to, you know, get their talent out there, to get their projects out there. They can create it themselves. And then we have this technology, we got all these filters and all of these different programs where you can take an iPhone and, and do a full feature film, put it out there yourself, do a deal with a, you know, with a quality TV or yeah. one of these other smaller streaming platforms and 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 generate revenue. Does that so make you, I, I see I see more of that happening. Yeah. Does that does that when you when you have conversations with like Faison or Capone or people who've been in the game for a while that you know their bread and butter is stand up, do they ever sort of have a feeling like the industry's changing or do they feel like it's just expanding? I think they feel like it's expanding. Um, cause I, I, I don't think that they feel like, you know, stand up comedy is going anywhere. Right. Yeah. That's a, that's a true art form that, you know, uh, uh, I, I it's, it's not going to go anywhere. Definitely expanding. And so I think some of these guys are embracing, you know, the, the, the sketch comedy online or what have you. And some aren't, some are just like, yo, this is what I do. Right. You know, right, right, right. Anything wrong with that. Yeah. Uh, I always say that, um, it would be interesting to see if during, you know, you talked about coming to America, if you look at like the eighties when celebrity culture in America was exploding, you're talking about like Madonna, Eddie Murphy, Magic Johnson. These are people, Michael Jackson, Prince Prince, MJ, right. These are people like that are larger than life, right? There was no social media then, you know, there was, there was no social media then. I wonder, does do you think that the mystique of them being celebrities and there being such a, like a a level of like barrier between them and everyday people 
helped them remain where they were in a way that social media like takes away. Cause like on a certain level, like now fans expect it. And some people are really good at managing it. Like Beyonce, for example, she had, she's on social media, but right. she, don't, she don't give you, but anything you get is what she going to give you. It's not 24 right. seven. Right. So right. I just wonder like, how do you feel the social media space because you are someone who works with talent across the board and across different industries has impacted that. Like, is the mystique better or is it to be more, is it better to be more active on social? I, I mean, because this is the world that we live in now, mm-hmm. it it's obviously it's better for your brand, right? Because you, because at the end of the day, it is about the brand. Now we, we live in a world where everybody's kind of attaching themselves to a product or, you know, a, a film or, you know, whatever. Everybody is basically a walking billboard for the most part, right? So the best way to do that is to be able to engage your fans directly mm-hmm. the way you want to do that. So it's a it's a it's a very useful tool. Um, and like you said, like people like Beyonce and you know, like a Dave Chappelle or whatever, who aren't on there every day and who use it as the tool that you know can help propel their you know but and still give them that that bit of anonymity where you know the people don't get you know basically tired of seeing them right you know because that can happen that 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 happens eventually right no matter no matter who you are what star you are you've got a certain uh window to to get everything popping and then at some point the audience is going to be looking for something new doesn't mean that you can't still work and be successful but it's just like all right now they're going to be enamored with this guy oh yeah. wow someone so is really funny you know um everybody has that everybody, everybody has that like you you are in fire moment like oh, yeah. flex, right 50 had it when he was in music kevin hart has had it uh you know where it's like everything you touch is gold and people can't get enough of you yeah so you just got to keep you got to take advantage of it. But then after that, you just got to know when you don't got to step off the stage, just step a little bit to the left, yeah, a little bit to the right, and you still be good, you know? It's about growing as an artist, too. Um, I My philosophy is music, comedy, whatever. You've got about a 10-year span where you can be really, really hot and accomplish everything that you need to accomplish. And once you get through those 10 years, You've put yourself in a position where you're in the 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 uh, you know the public's you know kind of you know you, you're embedded in here, yeah. right? Yeah. But again, like I said, now sounds change, the world's changing, topics are changing, right? People are changing, so the people who was with you during your tenure, they're gonna still ride with you. But now there's a new set of you know uh, there's a new generation, and they're not rocking with you because they didn't grow up on you, they weren't there. Same thing with the music, you know, like you mentioned the mumble rap or whatever. I, as a as somebody that's in music and I'm a musician or whatever, so I, I get it. It took me a while to be able to appreciate it beyond I had to I had to be able to hear past the mumble, so to speak, right? And to be able to hear and pick out, all right, you know what? This ain't really my thing, but this guy is good. Right. Or that or or this is actually a good song. Because at the end of the day, Good music is good music, and a good song is good. It's a good song, if it's mumble or not. I mean, I I was a fan of what's that thing Kanye put out? Um, what he said, uh, poopity scoop or whatever. And I was like, this is so silly, and he's trolling us. But it but it was super catchy. Yeah, it was. It was. It didn't matter that it was goofy. It was cool. It was it was super catchy. In your opinion, who's who? Who would you say? 
uh, of your roster, somebody you've 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 guided um, and supported, who has done that really well? Like, who do you think is the, from somebody from your roster who's done that the best? Would you just describe like, yo, I have a hot period, six, eight, ten years. I'm gonna get everything out of it I can, and then I'm gonna you know move around a little bit. I'm gonna transition to something that's gonna allow me to continue to capitalize on that, but just perhaps not at the same rate that I was before. I'm going to say right now for me, that's, that's Ashanti. Um, just kind of seeing her, her, her career arc, right? She came out hot as fire, right? Um, breaking records, break, you know, first female to sell half a million records in a week. You know, she's in the Guinness Book of World Records, you know, sold, you know, millions and millions of albums. Um, you know, then you go through the, the, what was going on with Murder, Inc. and the feds and what have you. And things kind of got off kilter, and then the you know the the label was over, and then it's like, all right, well, what what do we do? What does she do? You know, what have you? And you know, thanks to the team that you know was pretty much the same team of people from pretty much from the beginning, managers, business manager, lawyers, like all the same people. We've known each other. We're like family for twenty years. But you know, when all of that was going on, then it was like, all right, well, this is what we're gonna do. You can't get in the studio. You can't record. What have you? Um, go do Broadway, go act. She went and landed, uh, you know, the lead role in, in, uh, uh, the Wiz on Broadway. Mm -hmm. Right. Then she wound up doing, you know, the Muppets Wizard of Oz, uh, for CBS. And then she went from there to do, you know, uh, uh, one of these tween movies, John Tucker must die. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, extinct, uh, what is it? Uh, Resident Evil. And then, you know, it's just, you know, then, then, uh, couple TV shows and then it was like, all right, you know what? Now I want to do music again. So then she went and made a deal, you know, with an independent label, put out this album, boom, now we're going back on the road again. Right? Then that cools off, right? Now we're going through that, making movies, no new music, touring. Then I came up with an idea. I was like, well, why don't you and Ja Rule go and do some shows together? You know, because you guys got these records together and, you know, people haven't seen y'all together in a long time. Yeah. Nobody wanted to do it. Nah, 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 nah. You know, uh, 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 you know, we don't want to muddy the waters or what have you. I was like, y'all cool, right? There's no waters to muddy. So I actually kind of <laughs> tricked them into doing it. I just basically wound up booking the both of them in Australia <laughs> uh, for the same same run of dates. And then when they were there together and realized that, oh yeah, then it became a thing. So then that was another reinvention and then we started touring them together probably for the last three four years and we took them from small clubs to to uh theaters and then now we're doing like package shows with you know with nelly and we're doing arenas and like i was just in atlanta last night we had um you know we was on a uh 50s not jaruldo but ashanti we were on uh the um tycoon fest yeah right it was like chris brown monica this new kid Friday, uh, one twelve, Shanti, of course. Uh, it was like eleven acts, what what have you. So I mean, so so it's just, you know, she just had kind of had these ebbs and flows and what have you. So right now, I think the past two years, yeah, the past two years have probably been her highest grossing in touring ever. Even when she was hot white fire back in two thousand one, like she's hot, she's arguably hotter now than she was back then wow so she's working on new music this a whole bunch of stuff when 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 stuff like you know 
um, the interview with Irv and all that, like when all that background noise comes up, is that, you know, is there a certain element that like no press is bad? No, you know, there's no such thing as bad press or is it, is it just annoying or is it just like background noise that you don't even get involved in? I think, look, it's been kind of this thing over the years and she's just kind of just sat back and, you know, she's like, I'm, you know, I'm not going to engage any negativity or what have you. Um, I think that it just kind of, it was the straw that broke the camel's back. Uh, you know, that, that, that last drink champs one, what have you, where, you know, Right, right, right. And, and again, I've always kind of—I won't say I've stayed neutral. Look, at the end of the day, we're a team, so it's, it's about the team, what have you. But um, you know, we've always been cool with—I've always was cool with him and his brother, and you know, and Jai and all, all those guys. I mean, I, you know, again, they—they they were integral in my career because when I first became an agent, a full agent, uh, I was hanging out at Def Jam all the time, and I was in their offices, I was in hers offices, I was in. You know, Ron Robinson's office, um, Jairo's manager. So they were a big part of my career and my growth in in, in the industry. Um, but yeah, I mean, I th- you know, again, I, th- I think she she just handled it really well. And you know, as a as a as a strong young lady, just said, I'm not going to engage in the neg- negativity. But then, like I said, it, it was a bit much. So then she did have to go on. Uh, I think it was Angie. Yeah, Martinez, and uh, she gave her an interview. She gave, she gave a yeah, a, but she, you know, she did it classy. She didn't, you know, nah, she I didn't, get it. I get it. no venom or whatever. She just, she just told her side. Um, things. Have you ever had artists that like, you know, had beef that were both on your your roster that you had to sort of like mediate or like really didn't fuck with each other, and so you had to be like, uh, you know, don't do that mm-hmm. or what? That was ne- never that. No, nah, no. Nah. That's a good thing because those egos can sometimes be a be an issue, which is pretty. Oh yeah, yeah, it would have been. Yeah, no, I, I guess I was lucky enough to, to not have that be an issue. Mm. Who yeah. would you say um, is not a comedian, but is probably one of the funniest people on your your roster that you work with, but is not a comedian? But it's not a comedian. I don't want to see. I don't want to ask you who the funniest comedian you work with is because you work with a lot of comedians, and they might feel like, "Oh, so you think I so and so is funny than you?" That's why they want to do that. But here's my thing. I, look, I think people are great in their own way, and and a lot of the comedians that I that I either are friends with or work with or what have you, they all have their thing, right? Because they're individuals, right? And they they approach comedy from a different way. At the end of the day, funny is funny. So I, you know, I don't know if anybody's funnier. Or what have you, and then obviously, look, I'm biased. I think the funniest and the best is, of course, my cousin. He's he's one of the best to ever do it. Um, and, you know, I, I don't see many people that's going to be able to you know do what he did, right? Right. So I, I I marvel at him because, and I try to break this down to people, and they don't always get it. I'm like, I need you to understand something. You're talking about the mid '80s. And you've got everybody from Bruce Willis to to, to Kurt Russell to uh, uh, Mel Gibson and everybody else who these are white boys, right? Right. And here you've got Eddie Murphy, who's the biggest commercial star in the world, and that's a big deal because you're talking about somebody who's a writer, who's an actor. And he was doing sketch comedy. So that by itself, I'm like, yo, you got to pay high. Yeah. Right. 
impressionist. Right, 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 right. People forget how good of an impressionist. Like his tools, his tool kit. His bag is nuts. His bag is nuts. <laughs> He's so got all the tools. His bag yeah. is nuts. So when we get into these these top five conversations, right? I'm always like, look, it's almost unfair because for me, when people are when people ask me about top five, I'm like, yo, you got to be able to do. I was like, if you really want me to give you a top five, comic wise, you got to be able to do stand up. You got to be able to do sketch. You got to be able to do a full movie because there are some people who like work well in sketch, but they in movies they just right. kind of yeah. fall flat. Doesn't translate, right? Yeah. And I was like, and then because we have this as a thing, because you know you had the Richard Pryor show, you know you you, you so you got to be able to do sketch, and then you got to be able to write. Like right. I, that's that's my thing. My, I'm you yeah. know you you I need to know I mean, that's how you that's how you hone your skills, right? What have you written? You, you know, right? Like what have I you told and there's so very few reference. people who can hit all of those at the level that your cousin hit. Very yeah. few people. Yeah. And at the age, you know, let's not forget when mm. he burst on the scene, he was 18 years old. So imagine, like, you know who you were at 18, 19, 20 years old, right? Still, Maybe still trying to figure things out, what have you. This guy is 20, 21 year, years old on tour, selling out arenas across the globe. When he did uh, uh, Delirious, he was he was 21, 22 That's years crazy. old. That's crazy. Imagine being that age and and being that. So you talked you you talked about this a little bit. Uh, I gotta ask, um, wildest. You know, we've heard Charlie Murphy's story, of course, on Dave Chappelle. We've heard those, but for you, as you aged, wildest story hanging out with your cousin. I'm trying to think of one that I could tell. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, you don't got to sit to yourself for me, bro. There was some nights, boy. Uh, we used to actually call them nights like this. It used to, it used to be like, you would know when it was going to be a, a crazy night. And I and I would just look at, uh, he used to have this, uh, I'm talking about Charlie. He used to have this um, uh, 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 support comedian, um, Freeze Love. Um, uh, and I would just look at Freeze and be like, nice like this, bro. You know, nice like this, it's a reference to Eddie Kane Jr. Of course, and, um, of course. <laughs> Absolutely. Nice like this. I just wish. Yeah, yeah. So when that was going down, I was like, oh, nice like this. <laughs> You know, it'd be like, uh, Rich. I, I, need, I, need a, I need at least one. Yeah, just something. You got to give me something. All right, so one... I wasn't even there, but he was in California one 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 uh, one weekend. He was shooting something. I don't know why I wasn't out there, or maybe he was on break or whatever. But and he stayed out there. And I was. This is when, um, <laughs> this is when Inception was out. So I was in the movies with my wife watching Inception. Right. So we get all the way through the you know close to near the end of the movie, right? And my phone is ringing. It's him. I'm like, yo, it's not. We're not working. You're there chilling, whatever. What could you possibly? I'm, I'm, I'm not responding until this movie is over. Phone keeps ringing, ringing, ringing. So I just keep hitting ignore, ignore, ignore. Then my brother calls me. So I'm like, oh shit. So I leave. I go. I walk out of the theater. I go in the lobby. He's like, yo, what's up with your cousin? I was like, I don't know what happened. He said, yo, he called and said if anything happens to him, you know, so and so did it. I'm like, what? <laughs> So I call him up. I'm like, yo, what's going on? 
yo, man, so-and-so came in here, he's barbers, bitch, and uh, I think they're trying to break into the room. I'm like, what are you talking about? So basically, he was, he was, he was a little paranoid, and uh, he wound up leaving the hotel. And it's like 9 o'clock at night. He's got shades on. And I'm like, and, and I had arranged for his room to be moved and security to do some stuff. And, um, sorry. And, uh, when I called him back to say, look, they're going to move your room, whatever, whatever. He was like, yo, how do I get to the so-and-so hotel? I'm like, what are you talking about? Where you at? I'm on, uh, <laughs> I'm on, um, ah, damn, I can't think of it. Uh, Sunset Boulevard. I said, I said, well, which way are you going? I don't know. I'm just driving. Anyway, long story short, I got him back to the other hotel and it was it was crazy. That was just that was crazy for me because I was now I'm trying to navigate a situation that if I was there I would have been able to handle it, but now right. I navigated from back in New York while he's in LA. Mm, mm. It was crazy, but you know, it was just, the guy was a friend of ours. I don't know why he was tripping. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's a lot of, in the music space. Um, is there anybody like any of your clients who you're like? Who, who not a problem child. I don't want to use that term, not problem child, but is there anybody who you're like, when the phone rings or you wake up or you look at like Twitter or X and they're trending, you're like, what did they do? Uh, like, you know what I'm saying? Like a, a, wild, a wild one or, or all your clients for the most part kind of like. I mean, not nothing like what did they do now? I mean, maybe with Faison sometimes because, you know, like I said, Faison is outspoken. Yeah, so he's, he's, yeah he's, he's, he's talking about Jay-Z or whoever, you know. You know, people be calling him a hater or whatever. I'm like, he's not a hater. He just speaks. He speaks. This, feel. Is, this is his POV, you know. That, that, probably him. Oh, and then, you know, obviously when he <laughs> got in trouble for getting fights in the Ohio airport and all of that stuff. Yeah. But. Other than that, nah, nobody really. No, nah, I say that's a that's a good thing. Uh, I think I have a a, a a last question. I guess one of the things we talked about was um, your artists are now in every respect their brands, um, and they are walking billboards. And every opportunity is potentially an opportunity to get something else or to take something else away because we live in such a complete 365 news cycle um has there ever been like a space where you like wanted to guide on a, a artist like like yo i don't really think this is a good idea for you like how did you feel for example you got faith evans and she decides to like step into the love and hip-hop realm was you like i don't know if this is right like what you need to do or is it just like yo this is going to expose you to a new new audience like when artists are evolving in that way and they're making those types of calls, how do you as the, the, the talent manager or the agent have conversations with them about, you know, this is what you need to consider if you are going to go that I mean, route? You just have the conversation. I mean, I, I didn't have anything to do with her decision to do that, but like they have, there, there's been situations where, you know, shows have been offered to, you know, to a Charlie or to Ashanti, what have you. And we talk about, the, the pros and cons of it, right? It could be, you know, the, the long a long time ago, Dancing with the Stars. It was a new it was a new show, what have you? They didn't have any quote unquote real stars, right? Or everybody was more of not as hot as they used to be, right? Yeah, it was like the was, twilight of yeah, their career. Yeah, 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 yeah. So when you get uh, requests like that, you know, for for an artist or what have you, you know, you got to say, well, you know, well. 
okay, it's it's network, you know, it's X amount of eyeballs on it. But then you got to look at who's doing it, who the hosts are, you know, stuff like that. And you kind of talk through it. Sometimes it's just it's just a flat no. And sometimes it's all right. You know what? Let's think about this. So, you, I mean, you have to you have to have the conversation. And, you know, you as as an advisor, you go through, you know, all of the, you know, checks and balances, you know, what why this makes sense, why it doesn't make sense. And if if, if it makes and also does the money make sense. Right. But um, but but you figure out how does this affect your career short and long term. Yeah. I'm yeah. very much a big picture, long term. Let's do this so that we can move here and here, right? Because you're not always to do this huge leap and and, and hit a huge lick. Sometimes you got to do it in, 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 in segments or whatever. And I believe in doing it in segments and getting from, you know, one 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 spot to the next. But, you know, it, it, you know, it just all depends. What's, that you can think of, what's like the craziest idea that you might have been pitched for one of your one of your clients? One of your clients? Oh, probably OnlyFans or something like that. Um, <laughs> well, I know Shanti got pitched for OnlyFans, no? Yeah. What was that mm-hmm. number like? I'll be honest, uh, it didn't come to me. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> it uh it went to uh it went to uh some some of the other team members wow so. any yeah other any anybody else on the on the roster that got uh hit no. for the only fans okay nope just her all right last mm-hmm. one i gotta ask man because you know everybody wants the stories they always want to hear the inside back door you know uh scoop on everything but i heard a story about your pops Going to a fortune teller or a fortune teller talking about the family? Um, so family, I need to I need to get this story right. What happened was, and my aunt tells this story better. Um, my grandmother, my father's mother, um, she was walking down the street. You know, this is back in you know thirties, whatever. Um, she's walking down the street, and this woman stops her and says, "You know, I need to talk to you." So, you know, my grandmother's like, you know what? She's like, you know, I see, I see something uh, down, the, down the line in your family, the future. I see somebody who's going to be world famous. Their name will be in lights, the whole nine yards. And she said, you know, it's, it's, it's not right now, but it's going to be in the near future. So, but she said, but according to my aunt, the woman sounded so she she sounded really legitimate and that she knew what she was talking about and it and according to my aunt it she was shook a little bit but she came back home and told you know told them you know all all, all the all the all of her kids you know what had happened and uh the joke is yeah uh, eddie told it on arsenio but he said basically all all of my uncles and aunts and everybody went out and started ta- t- taking tap dancing <laughs> learning piano they figured it was going to be them but lo and behold, it wasn't that generation. It was the next generation. Was generation. It was Eddie, and then you know, and then we got the bonus with Charlie. Yeah. And then with you, I mean, you yeah, yeah. I mean, great. My name ain't in lights though. But it, it, listen, if, if it ain't for the work that you do, the lights don't <laughs> come on, and ain't nobody Back. came in lights. So Back. that's just as important. I mean, I, well, you know what? Interesting enough. So years ago, Eddie used to have this uh, this ranch in upstate New York. And <laughs> one time he threw this big party, right? He called it the, the Hootenanny, right? The Murphy Hootenanny. I mean, he had clowns and fortune tellers and, 
You know, because it, it was a ranch, so we had horses up there okay. the whole nine yards, right? So it had kind of a, like a Western theme. But it was just basically like a big family gathering, you know, food and the whole nine yards. So long story short, fortune teller pulls me to the side and basically says that, you know, you're going to work in the family business. How old so, were you? And it's kind of, and kind of, huh? How old were you? Uh, maybe about 18, Okay, 19, okay, all right. You know, and before I made, you know, my venture into into this part of the business, I, you know, I was a singer-songwriter, so that's why, I, that's why I figured I was going to do my thing, right? Um, in music, I was a rapper, singer, all of that. I was in groups, the whole nine yards, contests, all of that, right? Um, and then it wasn't until uh, I went to college, then I came back to New York. Eddie was a client over at one of the bigger agencies, ICM. My brother set it up for me to get um, to get an interview and basically join the agent training program, which meant I started in the mailroom and then just work my way up or what have you. And then that's kind of when I realized that, all right, that's, you're, you're not supposed to be in front of the camera. You're supposed to be doing this. And eventually, you know, what, what it, the big thing for me was being able to work with Charlie later on down the line. And at that point I was like, Oh yeah, this is the family business. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, you know, we, so we had two, uh, uh, fortune tellers <laughs> telling us what's up. Yo, man, I know, I, I've never personally wanted to know, but now that you know, now that you've seen, for those of y'all who are watching, if y'all go down to New Orleans, you be on Bourbon Street and dip off one of them side streets for them fortune tellers, you might find somebody famous in your family. You never know. But in any event, uh, I really want to thank you, man. This was a fantastic conversation. A lot of no, thank you. Appreciate uh, it. A lot That's of stuff fun. that I did not know about uh, just so many different things. I mean, we spend a lot of time in comedy, but your your work in music, your work in, in, in film, all of these things are hugely important to the culture and to moving things forward. And I want to thank you for being a part of the Charles Coleman podcast on today's conversation. Um, I want to, uh, on a very serious level, give you your flowers because for so many of us, we get to spaces and I talk to... Uh, my man Blue Williams about this uh, ah, a while ago. We just had, I just did an episode with Blue. Um, a lot of us get to these spaces and then we get, we decide that we want gatekeepers who don't look like us. And so the gatekeepers who don't look like us then make decisions about what's big enough for us to be in and the people who we can talk to and the outlets right. we can give interviews to and the ones we don't. And oftentimes it ends up shutting out conversations that like people really want to hear. And so I know that your job is not necessarily easy. I want to thank you for really like being a conduit to the culture and continuing to do what it is that you do, bro. Cause it's really, really important. So thank you. Thank you, bro. Appreciate it.